Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission kicked off 2023 last week with a new acting chair, Willie Phillips, and a new commission dynamic, a 2-2 split between Democrats and the GOP. But a lot hasn't necessarily changed since former acting chair Richard Glick left at the beginning of the month. For one, the commission's direction. Glick had pushed the commission to consider the climate change and environmental justice impacts of projects FERC approved, and that's something Willie Phillips is also trying to find consensus on. But that agenda is also one of the big reasons Glick wasn't reconfirmed in the first place. Senator Joe Manchin wasn't a big fan of that direction, so much so that Manchin didn't give Glick a reconfirmation hearing last year. So today we chat with Politico's Catherine Morehouse about FERC's direction under Phillips and the Manchin of it all. It's Monday, January 23rd. Kat, you reported last week that FERC staff flagged a liquefied natural gas and pipeline project for having negative environmental justice impacts. So what happened in this case and how is it reflective of the challenges ahead as the commission works to improve its process for evaluating fossil fuel infrastructure projects? The thing about this case is it isn't necessarily unusual. I would say that staff and the commission itself have repeatedly found that a lot of these facilities are disproportionately clustered in low-income communities and communities of color. But FERC also is famous for having an extremely high approval rate for gas facilities. It's rejected just two applications in the last 20 years. Just ultimately, these kinds of findings tend not to have a major impact on whether a project is approved or not. And I think that just kind of shows how difficult it is for the agency to actually reject a project even with these kinds of environmental justice concerns. That being said, I don't think that the findings in this case, which basically find that the CP2 and CP Express projects that are owned by Venture Global will disproportionately impact environmental justice communities, but that other environmental impacts aren't super significant, I don't think that will have very much bearing on the case, given that staff said here are some mitigation measures that can be taken to keep the impact somewhat minimal, which is, again, pretty common. But I do think that this is another example of this feeling of frustration among environmentalists and among these communities, really, where they know that these facilities are having the kind of impact that FERC keeps finding. And I think the question continues to be, when is FERC actually going to say, maybe you shouldn't cite that facility here or actually take some action to have those findings bear some kind of impact on the outcome of the case? Right. So on that subject, FERC did hold its first meeting last week since the dynamics of the commission change with former chair Richard Glick out and Willie Phillips in as acting chair. So under Glick, of course, FERC did try to move toward more consideration of climate and environmental justice, but that upset Senator Joe Manchin. So how is Phillips indicating, at least so far, how he'll handle this issue, even in possibly a temporary position for him? Phillips told reporters after the meeting that he is determined to find consensus among commissioners, including on some of the agency's most contentious issues, which pipelines certainly fall into that category. In response to a question on the pipeline policy statement in particular, he said he's working to build consensus and want something that's sustainable. And what that might look like is he'll have to get at least one Republican on board, either Commissioner Mark Christie or Commissioner James Danley. 
And I think that anything that the Republicans agree with, I'd imagine Manchin would be more receptive to as well. So I think the question here for Chairman Phillips is how are you going to balance how far you're basically willing to go to get a Republican member on board versus actually passing a policy that does what you're hoping to do with climate and environmental justice? So I think that'll be a balancing act that he'll have to figure out. Yeah, that seems difficult to navigate. I mean, how are FERC's remaining commissioners grappling with the potential of 2-2 splits on some of these controversial issues, whether it's pipelines or others? It's interesting because at the end of last year, Chairman Glick certainly and other commissioners, when they were seeing the writing on the wall and knowing that FERC would likely be at a 2-2 split, there was a lot of talk of downplaying the risks of this split and saying it's kind of exaggerated to say we'll be divided on a lot of these issues. The vast majority of our orders are unanimous. And that's true. They are. But what Commissioner Allison Clements actually pointed out on Thursday and what I think is a very relevant question is on the most controversial topics, the commissioners vary really widely in their beliefs. And what she said was basically, we are dealing with more high profile issues than the commission ever has, including on pipeline policy and on climate change, both in terms of keeping the grid resilient against extreme weather and ushering in market rules that can ensure the energy transition is as smooth as possible. And I think Chairman Phillips, he was asked about these comments and said, we need to respect our colleagues and respect their different positions and kind of reiterated his stance that his goal is to be a deal maker and to build consensus as much as possible. And I think, again, it comes down to how far will these policies go with the caveat that there needs to be some sort of consensus there. Overall, I think that both of those statements are kind of telling in terms of how the two Democrats view their new position as no longer in the majority, but rather in a deadlock commission. And it will be interesting to see how the votes and proceedings move forward with those two mindsets between the Democrats. Right. And should we expect Senator Manchin's influence to continue to loom as FERC moves ahead on these issues? I know at the meeting you were at, there were protests targeting Manchin and his treatment of former Chair Glick. Stop Joe Manchin's FERC. Where's Richard Glick? Where is Richard? And we know that he, Manchin, will have to sign off on nominees going forward to fill out the commission. So the short answer is yes, he is going to continue to have a huge role in who the new nominee is, given, like you said, he chairs the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, which ultimately decides whether to move forward with the nominee that the White House puts forward. But one bargaining chip the White House does still have is that they have final say on who will be chair. The chair obviously has a huge influence over the agenda. As we've said before, they kind of did buy themselves some time by naming Phillips acting chair, whether that was their intention or not. So I think it's safe to say that politics between the White House and Manchin will definitely continue to play a significant role in how this next iteration of the commission ultimately shakes out. Also, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has finalized approval of the first advanced small modular nuclear reactor design for use in the United States. The commission on Friday officially certified the design from the advanced nuclear developer New Scale. The move paves the way for utilities to begin including small-scale nuclear power plants in their long-term resource plans, which could potentially transform the U.S. path to a 100% carbon-free electric grid, although cost hurdles for nuclear projects remain. The first reactor is expected to be operational by 2029, with the full power plant coming online by 2030, according to the Department of Energy. 
For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power-switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. Chevron is developing renewable diesel made with biofeedstock that can help reduce the life cycle carbon emissions of heavy-duty transport fuels today. Learn more at chevron.com.